are all over the internet, costing billions of dollars each year. Tonight, I go over some typical scams to watch out for and go into one case of a victim that lost everything in what you could say was a romance scam. I'm your host Cambo, grab a beer and pull up a deck chair. This is True Crime Island, another true crime podcast. So as you may well know, I've been on, well, still am on holidays over this Thai New Year and Easter break in Thailand visiting the lovely Kate. So I've had a bit of time off to recharge and now I'm back ready to go again. Thank you everyone for your kind posts and let's get into it. Well, I was approached by one of the islanders about being scammed and they asked if I could do a story on it or at least read out the story that they wrote. But before I get into that story, I want to go over some of the typical scams that are out there. Now, the story I will bring you is probably the lowest type of scam, a romance scam. As I said, I want to go into a bit of background before I get into that actual case. And as like stalking, there's a wide spectrum of the types of scams out there. With your typical thief, they'll break into your house, steal your car, or even pickpocket you. There is usually not some personal connection to the victim. With scamming, especially online scamming, there's, there is some personal connection between the scammer and the victim. I'm sure most of you are aware of the Nigerian Prince email scams from decades ago. Well, they started decades ago. They're still there. Where you would receive an email from a supposed uh, Nigerian Prince who has large amounts of money trapped in banks or institutions, and they need your help to transfer the money out of the country. They, in return, will offer you a large sum for your help. Now, they may ask you for your bank details, or more common, they'll require you to pay a handling charge, a tax, or a release fee, whatever. The amount may start out small, say 100 bucks or so, But then they will will require further payments, often larger in size, to get over the next hurdle in being able to transfer the money. Eventually, the victim starts to get in so deep that they either keep chasing their investment, give up, and in some cases, they go broke. They never see any of the money. Now, this is commonly called the Nigerian 419 scam, in reference to the law that the scammers are breaking in their own country. This time a scam is now perpetrated not only from Nigeria, but all over the world by not only one-person operators, but now by huge organised criminal gangs. One case of an Australian woman that was caught up in a romance scam, she's currently on death row in Malaysia. Now, this uh, this is true. This is Maria... Exposed though, 
Exposto, sorry. Now, she started chatting online in 2013 with a guy that she thought was a handsome retired soldier. He sent her photos of him in action. He charmed her with his written words and would even call her and sing to her several times a day. It wasn't long before she was being asked to send amounts of money via Western Union to her online lover. Eventually, she sent herself broke, sending over $18,000 to Ghana in West Africa. She was a perfect mark, lonely, vulnerable, looking for love. She'd been proposed to, and when the money ran out, she had her details passed on to another scammer that continued the scam. She'd been put on what's called a suckers list. That list is made up of others that had sent money to online scammers. The detail of the victim, including all the background of the chats, etc., are sought by, by other criminal gangs. Now, they use all these victims for more nefarious reasons. Soon, Maria was asked to go to Shanghai to collect the retirement papers for her love so that he, he could finally move to Australia and they could get married and live their lives together happy forever. Instead, when she got to Shanghai, she was given a backpack that was to have contained her lover's paperwork but it actually had over 1.5 kilograms of meth sewn into it. On her return to Australia via Malaysia, Maria mistakenly, when going through customs, she went through, instead of going to the transit area, she got her bags checked and arrested when the customs officials found the drugs. Now, at first, Maria was acquitted of trafficking the meth into Malaysia, but the prosecution appealed and she was subsequently found guilty and sentenced to death. The prosecution said that maybe she didn't know what was in the bag, but it was still willful blindness and that she should be convicted. Now her final appeal is still to be heard. So here's this woman who has sent all her money to this guy. She can't send any more, so her details are given on to another gang. Now they often will pay for the airfare for the mark, the victim, whatever you want to call them, to go to another country to do this drug mulling. Now, of course, she's run out of money. This is the last hurdle for her lover. She's going to go to Shanghai. She's not going to... She's so naive. She's not going to question anything. As far as she's concerned, she's picking up this paperwork and she's going to come back to Australia and everything will be fine. Now... I'm sure all of us going red flag, red flag, red flag everywhere. But some people are so naive. And when they're lonely, they're in denial. All these red flags, even her family noticed she was sending money to Ghana. Why would they be sending money to Ghana? Would she be sending money to Ghana? However, she's found herself in this situation where she's currently on death row in Malaysia with one final appeal. Scary how someone could find themselves in that situation. Imagine over the year that she was first targeted by the online romance scammer that she would end up on death row for drug trafficking. How confused she must have been at the interview office in Malaysia being told she was going to be arrested and charged for such crime and that the punishment was death. At first, 
She may have thought, how could her lover do a thing like this? But as the whole situation unraveled, she would have come to the realisation that there was no retiring military man that loved her, that he was just a stolen photo, a fake account online, and that when her money ran out, she was passed on to an even more evil organisation that was set her up as a drug mule. Now that's just fucking scum. Last year, hundreds of similar romance scams netting millions of dollars were reported in Australia alone. And most of these types of scams are never reported. I guess a lot of people, once they realise they've been scammed, are too ashamed to report it and they suffer in silence. It's a billion dollar worldwide business. Now before I... (laughs) Before I go into the scam that the Islanders wrote, wrote about, just a public service announcement. We Islanders number in the thousands. So there is a chance that one of us are currently being scammed. Now, have you been approached online? Has the person that approached you avoided video contact? Have they romanced you and after a while suddenly had a family emergency or other reason for you to send them money? especially through a service like Western Union. These are just some of the red flags to look out for. The problem is, they don't ask for money first up. They play you for a while until you fall in love with them and they gain your trust. It is then that they play the mind tricks and you are at your most vulnerable. This applies to everyone, regardless of gender. In fact, the lady or man you're chatting with may not be the gender they they say they are. Often they're not. These scammers have hundreds of marks on the go at any one time. In fact, they trade tips and tricks with, with each other to hone their skills. So, different types of messages, letters, all this sort of stuff. Years, 20 years ago, it was pretty easy to pick the scam because... The English was that bad. So if you're a retired English military guy and you can't write a letter that makes any sense in English, well, it's a pretty clear red flag. Those days are gone. They're swapping letters with each other. One thing that is interesting is these scammers have not only law enforcement around the world looking for them, but they have online vigilantes as well. There are people out there called scam baiters. Now, oh, this is some of the most interesting stuff if you get into true crime. When they are contacted by scammers, and it isn't hard to do if you ever, ever look in your spam folder, and they play along with them using up their time and resources in what is really a vain hope that they will stop what they're doing. Now, some of these scam baiters, some of them are quite complex what they get into, and they even involved getting the scammers, or at least the contacts of the scammers, to turn up in locations to pick up promised funds. And then they stand aside with a video, videoing these guys wandering around, wondering for this person to turn up and give them all this money. Now, the original scammer will be in Ghana or Nigeria or wherever, but they've all got contacts. So they'll call their contacts, say, in London. This is quite popular in London. 
and they'll say, hey, mate, go down. This guy's going to turn up and give you 18,000 pounds or whatever. And so they'll turn up and they stand away from them and they video and watching them. Yeah, and they get on the phone going, oh, I'm nearly there. I'm nearly there. Where are you? Blah, blah, blah. So get onto YouTube. Uh, it's called 419 Scam if you want to have a look at some of these videos. There's also some entertaining blogs out there, just text stories of how they've got these scammers even to send them stuff. It's absolutely fascinating, this tug-of-war between scammer and scam baiter. Anyway, sadly, law enforcement don't seem to be too interested to get involved when these scammers are identified. You know. So, on to the listener's story. Now, this is another type of romance scam where the parties actually meet. This story starts off in Australia but ends up in Thailand. So, I can tell you this type of scam is real and it's not too uncommon in Thailand. As you know, I know Thailand quite well. So, let's go. It was obvious that my partner wasn't happy with me. All names have been changed, I hope. (laughs) Jenny was a really smart woman and had a good job. I had a business that made money, although I didn't have diplomas like some. I often felt that this was a problem between us. We started off well enough. At the time, Jenny was going through a really tough patch after the breakdown of her previous long-term relationship. We met at the supermarket late one night. We just started talking and it went from there. Before I knew it, we were living together and had been up to now almost four years. The house I owned was nice and it felt like a home. Both of us liked to have a few drinks and to smoke a bit of weed. Our comfortable lifestyle was just getting too comfortable. The more we smoked and drank, the more we argued. In the end, the relationship fell apart and Jenny moved out. I wasn't happy to be on my own again. So what was I to do? I just kept working, but smoking more and drinking more. Hell, I was trying to have a good time getting smashed. And Jenny made it clear on several occasions that she was not coming back. We still lived near each other in New South Wales, and I would bump into her now and again. I tell you, I did try to get her back home, but no way. She wasn't having a bar of it. My life of partying continued. It was a hell of a way to dull the pain. I met a few few women, but I, but they were just temporary and short-term fun. No, nobody measured up to Jenny. There was one good thing. Jenny wasn't being greedy about the house or the business. I had planned on giving her as little as I could, but she asked for so little, I was lucky she was so easy to deal with. But legal proceedings are never fun, even when it's fairly straightforward. There was a bit of toing and froing, a bit of anger on both sides. It took a while to settle, but in the end, I kept the house, contents and the business. On reflection, she could have taken me for way more. I was lucky she just wanted to end it. She wanted to be free of me. The business was doing fine and I had a guy working for me who was reliable and did a good job. Max could easily cover for me if I took some time off. After all, it wasn't like I was short of money. The idea of travelling appealed to me and I decided to go to a trip to Thailand. I'd heard that Phuket was a full-on place to party, 
So I booked a plane ticket there. Max would cover all the business orders and make the products. It was a great opportunity to unwind near the sea. Once I arrived, I found it was very cheap to live there. Everything was cheap. Food, grog, drugs and anything else you wanted. It was a heaven and making the best of it, I moved around the area for a while and stayed for as long as I could. Thai women are absolutely gorgeous. I had already decided to come back to the area as soon as I could. I couldn't stay indefinitely, even if I'd wanted to. Back in Australia, Max had kept the business humming along beautifully, probably better than I had. I'd become very restless once I settled back into my boring life in Australia, and I ran into Jenny a few more times. While I was in Thailand, I pretty well didn't think much about her, which was a relief. I think I really stuffed up there, and there was no fixing it now. It was too late. You can only bash your head against a wall so many times. I had to move on. Max wasn't worried about me taking time off in Thailand again. In fact, I think he liked being his own boss. There were also financial benefits for him when I did this. He paid the bills, kept the orders going, and absolutely charmed all the clients. I wasn't missed, and the money kept rolling in. So what the hell? I only stayed in Australia for a short time until I took off for Thailand again. This time, I knew where to stay and had a whole lot of street smarts. <laughs> only your second trip. <laughs> we, we all think we know it all, don't we, after one or two trips. Anyway, <laughs> let's get on to it. I planned to stay as long as I could. The business could more than pay for me to live the good life in Thailand. And then there were those beautiful Thai girls. I met lots of Thai girls. But then I met one who was very special. Loan. She worked at one of the bars. She was gorgeous, smart, funny and liked what I liked. She was dynamite and I couldn't get enough of her. She didn't mind a bit of weed and was a real party girl. Yet I got the feeling she was only interested in me. She made me feel successful and I loved being in her company. Once I'd met her, I stayed in the general area that she worked in so that I could spend as much time as possible with her. And did we party. I stayed as long as my visa allowed and we made arrangements for her to come for a holiday in Australia. I said I would pay her fare to Australia so we could be together. She was thrilled that she was going to spend more time together and couldn't wait to see Australia. She was really upset when I left. I knew it was hard for her to see me go. Back in Australia, and it was back to the usual boring routine. Work, go to the pub, have a few smokes, smoke a bit of weed. It was so utterly mind-numbing, and I wanted to be back in Thailand with Loan. I miss being able to touch her, talk to her, and just be chilled out with her. So I slogged away and did as much work as I could get through. I earned a ton of money in that time, but the business was like a process line. It held very little interest to me now, but I worked hard. I wanted to have plenty of time with Loan when she came to Australia. And plenty of money. I wanted to impress her. It's a strange feeling to be in your late 40s and feeling 18 again, but that's how I felt. Loan was in her early 30s. She had no children because she'd never met the right man, who apparently was me. 
I was counting the days until she arrived in Australia. We kept in constant touch, although she wasn't coping too well. She was always telling me how much she loved me and couldn't wait to see me, how much she missed me and how her world was nothing without me. Thank goodness for our phone calls and constant messages, but I much prefer hearing her voice. I really needed this. Finally, the day arrived that Loam was due to arrive in Australia. I met her with a big bunch of flowers. Wow, it was fantastic to see her again, and she was overjoyed to see me. I puffed out my chest. I was a proud man. We stayed in Sydney a couple of days and I showed her the town. We were staying at the Intercontinental near Circular Quay in Sydney. It cost me big bucks, but I didn't care. Loam was totally delighted. We then headed towards the north coast of New South Wales. We stayed a couple of days at Gosford and Foster at waterfront hotels that had really good reviews. We ate and drank well at the restaurants. I ordered the best of everything. I lived not far from the beach and we finally arrived at my home. She was very impressed. Thanks to Jenny's good taste in furniture and decorating, she'd made it a very tasteful and elegant home. I wouldn't have had any idea how to do what she did. And as I said before, I kept all the furniture. Every item was looked at admiringly. Truly, I felt like a real winner. I took Loan around the beaches and to my local watering hole. Jenny still drank there occasionally, but I was so smitten I didn't give a stuff. Here I was, king of the world, showing off my gorgeous Thai partner, Loan. She was very engaging and all my mates thought she was amazing. My chest puffed out further. I heard one secondhand comment that Jenny had said she was my Thai child bride. I just shrugged my shoulders and said, bugger it. We had three glorious months. We lived it up and all I did for the business was a bit of paperwork some night to keep, to keep the bills paid. Max, my able employee, had everything in hand and was happy I'd bug it off somewhere each day, often for days. I did hear a rumour that Jenny had come around to the house, but I wasn't there. I wasn't interested, as Loan and I were having a great time. One of my mates told me he saw her car there, and I thought, well, you had your chance, too late now. I was in love, lust, and smitten. I had everything a man could ask for in Loan. Finally, the three months came to an end. I knew I wanted to be with Loan. We talked about my moving to Thailand to be with her and becoming a family. Just before she left, I bought her a beautiful sapphire engagement ring. She went back home and I was utterly and absolutely miserable. I felt like I was in a desert with no water. I had to be with her. Our only pleasure was our almost daily contact by phone or messaging. We occasionally connected on Skype, but the connection was never good. Loan always had to turn the video off to make it work. She didn't have Skype herself and was using someone else's computer. Well, bit of a red flag already. Everyone's got a phone, especially in Thailand. It's a phone that can do video. Loan said she couldn't live without me, and I totally believed her. The only solution we could see for our love was for me to move to Thailand. I was able to apply for a retirement visa as I had just turned 50. This would enable me to stay in Thailand for a year 
Then we could get married in that time. I was pretty impressed with Luan's thorough research. She had it all worked out. She was a very smart lady. (laughs) You can probably see where this is going. I was always happier in Thailand than in Australia, which I can understand. (laughs) I myself am. So Luan talked about that a lot and said we could have this whole new happy life in Thailand. A clean slate. We were in love after all. I couldn't buy property as I wasn't a Thai citizen, but she could for us. I thought about that idea for a while and it seemed like the obvious solution. Loan talked about my lovely home and how she wanted me to have that home in Thailand with her. And just think how much cheaper it would be there. Food was cheap, living was cheap and we could be so happy. We could go to the beach and I didn't have to work if that's what I wanted. She said she could support us if I could build us a home. And she could do just a few shifts each week so we could spend time together in our love nest. It sounded amazing and it was what I wanted. She had everything worked out. I think at this stage she's got him worked out. Anyway, we decided I would send her money to buy land. We discussed lots of options and settled on an area we both liked. I was sent a lot of information on the land options she'd found for us. We discussed those options and decided on one block that really shone through. I liked it and Luan wanted it. I sent through the money for the land plus additional money for her to continue research on building and building plans. I understood that Aussies couldn't buy land there but I trusted her with my life. I sent the money to Luan and she sent me proof that the land was purchased in her name. Now all we had to do was to build our love nest. Now I'll just clarify this. Yes, in Thailand, foreigners can't buy land. They can start a company with 51% Thai ownership and that can purchase land. That's one way around the legal technicalities of it all. Although you can buy a condominium. So... If there's 100 units in a condominium complex, 51 have to be at least 51 Thai owned and the other 49 can be foreign owned. The same way in Australia we got the strata type laws. You don't actually own the building, you own inside your lot or your unit and uh, that's a way you can actually get accommodation or room, a house, unit, whatever in your own name in a condominium complex complex however buying land is strictly only for Thai people so let's keep going we kept up our daily contact and Lawan said the next stage was to sell the business so we could fund the building I was absolutely jack of it by then I couldn't wait to sell it I put it on the market and had a couple of bites I hadn't told my employee Max that I was selling the business but then I had a few problems in that area Mates had said that Jenny had been round to the house again while I was in Thailand last time, but everyone knew I wasn't there. I had my suspicions that I wasn't the reason that she was coming around. When I was back in Australia, I asked questions and found out there was a romance going on between my ex-partner and my employee. I wondered how long it had been going on, 
and the more questions I asked people, the more I didn't like the answers. I felt I owed him nothing. In fact, he owed me my mind. I kept my plans to sell the business to myself, hoping I'd leave him without a job and broke. I didn't give a stuff. Loan suggested I should slow up paying my bills to suppliers as I was selling the business. Oh my God. Anyway, it wasn't hard to sell the business and I truly loved the look on Max's face when I said I'd sold it to a family. And guess what? There wouldn't be a job for him as they planned the sons to join the dad in the business. It was priceless. I had my revenge. He was out of a job. I hoped Jenny would see that as a negative. But who cared? I was over her. Next step in my love's plan was to sell the house so we fully fund our own home on the land we'd bought. This would also give us money to furnish the entire house to our tastes. Again, it didn't take long for the office to come in. Australia was in a market boom then and I was in a beachside suburb with views. I had many offers and I finally accepted one almost at the asking price. I sold my furniture and possessions. I had plenty of cash like I'd never had in my life before. I still had a few bills and some were quite large amounts to large to major suppliers. Luan's view on this was that I was going to live in Thailand permanently in this great new life. Who cares if you owe people money in Australia? She said I wasn't ever going back there. That sounded good to me. Free money. Why should I part with my stack of money if I didn't need to? I put my creditors off with lots of lies. I had to talk my way around it. Lies like the guy who was buying the business hadn't paid me for the business. The lies just flowed and they believed me. I hadn't been paid for the business, but I was pretty clever there. I told the new buyer to buy off different major suppliers than the ones I owed money to. I said I would assist him with advice for a period, so I had his ear. I nearly got caught out when he said he was thinking of approaching one of my creditors for a price. I told him their material was inferior. Lucky he believed me. Nice one. Luan had sent me an estimate for the building. She said her family had long connections with the builder's family and that this was a very good price compared to a house in Australia of the same size. It was a bargain. My fiancé said the builders did not speak English and she would be happy to spare me the frustrations of dealing with them while I built our dream home. Uh, I like the idea of no fuss. I sent Luan the full amount of the quotation for the builders. She said she would only release it in stages as they were reached. She was a smart woman who I knew would oversee the project until I reached Thailand. We discussed furniture and I also sent money to cover about half of that which apparently was going to be handmade and required deposits. Lawan had very good taste in furniture. I'm sorry if I'm laughing a little bit here, but I know the the writer of the document is quite fine of, about this. And uh, I do find some of this quite funny. Well, red flags everywhere, but you just can never see them, can you? I finally flew out of Australia, pensioner visa in hand, and left my creditors behind in Australia. I was free to start my wonderful new life with cash in the bank. As soon as I arrived in Thailand, I went to inspect the building work. It was pro- progressing nicely, although a bit slower than I'd hoped for. 
Luan patiently explained that things move more slowly in Thailand and the progress to date was actually very good. But I was just happy to be with her. I hung around for almost a week, but it was so frustrating as I had no idea what Luan and the builder were discussing. Sensing my frustration, she suggested that I leave her to deal with all the problems and that I should go and have a touring holiday before we settled into the house. Then I could just arrive back and help pick out the furnishings furnishings, and all the final stuff. To be honest, I was relieved. It was so boring watching them work and I just wanted the house to be finished. I wanted it to just be the two of us with Luan all to myself. I didn't have to think long about taking one last holiday before settling down. I made plans to see different attractions and find my accommodation along the way, but not to plan anything day by day. I couldn't afford to do this. I would be able to see more of Thailand as I tended to stay in one area before. I could still keep in touch with Luan, although it wasn't going to be our usual daily contact. And what a bonus, Luan would deal with all the problems. It sounded like the best deal for me. At this stage, I had to admit that the thought had crossed my mind that I might have a little playtime on the trip if it happened to meet someone. This would be my last chance. So who was I to pass up a chance like this? I toured and I saw so much of Thailand. Once I got away from the built-up areas, it had so much history. I kept in touch with Luan, but the news wasn't wonderful. Supplies had been held up and there were going to be further delays as well as additional costs as materials had risen in price. There was also additional labour. It was turning into a real price blowout. I organised more money into the building account to cover costs. Each time we spoke, she said there was progress, but it was very slow. She was very quick to assure me that she could handle it and that they were only a little behind schedule. I was assured there was no need for me to come back and that I should continue my travels and have a good time. I kept on travelling and I did meet some lovely ladies along the way. Hmm. Finally, I became restless and wanted to return, but I got a very uncomfortable feeling that Lawan was stalling me, that in fact she didn't want me to come back, even though she said she'd miss me. There was that niggling little feeling that I had that something just wasn't quite right. After being stalled and told of all the delays, I told her I was coming back to the house. Lawan said that she was looking forward to us being together again. I kept in contact, but the tone of her phone calls was a little off. She was constantly complaining about the poor quality of the work and all the faults that would need to be rectified. I said I would sort it all out when I arrived, but she assured me that she could handle it and there was no need for me to be bothered with it. Luan asked me where I was each time I called, so she knew I was getting pretty close to arriving. I had mixed feelings the night before I arrived back to my newly built home. I was really looking forward to being back with my fiancé, but I was dreading dealing with the builders and all the problems that needed to be rectified. Oh well, it had to be done. Imagine my surprise when I pulled up at what was once a block of land and a lot of materials to see our home looking finished. It was exactly what I'd hoped for. A big smile crossed my face and I knew everything was going to be fine. Naturally, I was anxious to see Luan, 
as we were going to finish furnishing the house. The beautiful furniture was due to arrive in days and I'd sent more money to the building account as Lawan had to pay up front for the balance of the furniture. To be honest, my funds had dwindled with all the additional costs, my holiday and time delays. I knocked at the door and an elderly Thai man answered the door. There seemed to be a lot of people in the house. I asked him to get Lawan. He said, who are you? I said, I'm Lawan's fiancé and this is my house. He said, this is my daughter's house, not your house. I again asked him to bring Lawan to the door and he said, she's on holidays with her husband and children. I went white. I felt cold. I just went numb and stared at him like an idiot with my mouth open. Everything was in Lawan's name. Foreigners, as I said, are not allowed to own land in Thailand by law. I'd trusted her completely and not once had it occurred to me that she would do this to me. I'd been taken for everything I had. All the money I had was pretty well spent. I tried to get my money back using the Thai legal system, engaged a lawyer and spent a lot of money only to be told that I didn't have a leg to stand on. Everything was in Luan's name. I was lucky in the end to even have enough money to get back to Australia. I had nowhere else to go. In the end, I had to return to Australia with what was in my backpack. I'd sold my business, furniture, my house, everything I owned. And I had to face the people I had debts with in Australia when I got back. And I had no idea what was happening. So Islanders, this is just one sad tale of someone who was sucked in and spat out. He felt everything in his life was going so well. And then the shock of it all, when he turned up to the house he'd paid for, only to find out everything was a scam. He'd been taken for a ride every cent he had finding out that his love was supposed to be single without kids well she had a husband and a bunch of kids everything was a complete lie now a lot of people out there may say he was stupid and that he had a ride on the karma bus and yeah to an extent that's true but the essence of this story is how getting caught up in love makes you blind to some serious red flags Now, I'm sure the perpetrator of the scam, once the relationship started to blossom, had this planned all along. She knew Thai law and steered the victim along the way, siphoning more money as she went with excuses that the building was going slow. She sent him away to have a break while she finished building the house, all this sort of stuff. She would have had no remorse. This was just business getting a house and furniture for a family, something she'd never be able to afford by herself. The place was probably valued at around 3 million baht or so, even more. And with Thai Lottery being 1 million baht for first prize, this was like winning the lottery multiple times over. So like other romance scams, the victim is left utterly shattered until, if they ever do, They can recover from the lies and deception and, of course, the financial burden of it all. Those that perpetrate these scams, the lowest of the low, preying on the vulnerabilities of the lonely. Now, the only way to defend yourself from this 
is to try and look at the red flags. Trust your instincts. Go talk to a friend. As I said before, some clear red flags are when those that you're chatting to won't do a video chat or after a period of time, they ask for money. Other people, and they may be saying they're in the same country or the same state, they're never able to meet with you or they cancel at the last minute with some urgent excuse. These are just a few of the things to look at if you're in an online relationship. Now, if you do get their name and photo, do a Google search to see if they pop up on some scam site. Reverse image search on Google often shows up the same photo linked to multiple scams. Now, stay safe, Islanders, and if in any doubt, ask for help. So, that's the end of this week's show. A little bit different. But like I said, I'm actually still in Thailand on holidays. I'll be back next week, back to work. That really sucks. But as we do at this time, we'll get back to our Patreons. And it's a big thank you to Gemma. Thank you very much. To James. Thanks, James. You upped your uh, pledge. To Kate. And to Anne-Marie. Boom, fuckalunga. And again... I need a shout out to Lisa Peppard. I think I've done this a few a few episodes in a row. Lisa, please read your email. Get back to me so I can send you your mug. I need you to confirm your address and what sort of mug you want. That's one of the Patreon awards you get. Thank you all so much for your support and thank you so much to all present and past Patreon supporters of the island. It really does make a difference, as you know. Also, during the first or second week of the month I will reach out to anyone that qualifies for a reward of a mug or a shirt to confirm your address and what item you'd like I did reach out this week and things have been a bit different this month because I have been away mugs are for three months $10 shirts three months on the $20 pledge and for five bucks you get stickers sent after the first month now I'm ordering new stickers when I get back I'm out of stickers at the moment so there's a few there I've got to catch up on True Crime Island is a totally listener-supported podcast. I do keep it ad-free, as I know you don't like dealing, listening to the ads. I don't want, don't want to deal with advertisers at this point anyway. If you want to support the island financially, for as little as a dollar a month, you too can become a Patreon. Go to patreon.com forward slash truecrimeisland. Check out the levels and the rewards. Alternatively, if you want to just do a one-off donation, you can do that at paypal.me forward slash truecrimeisland. Also, you can support the island by getting hold of some merch such as t-shirts, hoodies, beach towels, fantastic tote bags, but my favourite are the mugs of rage, all available from truecrimeisland.threadless.com. There are linked links on my webpage, which is truecrimeisland.com. Remember, listeners, please don't order black mugs until further notice. I'm going to... I think I said last episode, have a shake-up of the shop show, so I may take it down in a week or so and get all new stuff on there. I do have keychains, lapel pins, stickers and beer koozies, which you need to contact me directly for. As I said, I'm getting new stickers. This can be done by emailing me, cambo at truecrimeisland.com, and that's also the best way to contact me personally for anything else, such as case requests or just to say, boom, fucking 
Now, you don't have to spend money to support the island. You can also rate and review and tell your friends, family and workmates about the island. If they don't know how to tune in, show them. Now, last week we had a shout-out for Woody Overton's Real Life, Real Crime. If you checked it out, that's real good. But the audio I had for that promo sucked. So uh, I've got new audio now. So I'll put that as the promo at the end. Don't forget to wait for that. You can search for True Crime Island on Facebook, Twitter and Instagram and join the closed group on Facebook so you can have what, say what you want without anyone knowing. So that's about it for the show tonight. Lots of love to Maggie James and I'm your host Cambo. You've been listening to True Crime Island and as I always say, don't forget to delete your browser history. Good night. Boom bakalanga. host of Real Life, Real Crime, the podcast. Join me each week to hear true and unscripted stories of the cases I actually worked during my career as a major crime investigator in South Louisiana. Go to realliferealcrime.com where you can listen to each week's episodes and find links to our social media. I appreciate y'all. Don't let me catch you down on Murder by Evil.